Welcome to another episode of Cook, Eat, Nourish with me, Fiona Staunton of Fiona's Food for Life. Today, I have a great discussion with Siobhan D from the Diabetes Department. We talk about the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes and the fabulous work that she is doing in chronic disease prevention, particularly in the workplace with her new app, Ignition Go. Be sure to listen to the end to find out her three tips to improve your health. Make sure you subscribe so you get notified of new episodes. I hope you enjoy it. Now, good morning, Siobhan. I'm delighted to have you on my podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to my audience? For sure, Fiona. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Lovely to speak with you. So hello to everyone who's uh, listening. And my name is Siobhan D. I am the CEO of a company called the Diabetes Department. So I guess, Fiona, my uh, why I arrived uh, with this company or founding this company was way back when I was quite young. My 11-year-old sister was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. That really prompted my whole interest, I guess, in healthcare in general and specifically in diabetes. I went on to train to be a nurse and I worked as a nurse for many, many years. Um, I then joined the pharmaceutical industry where I worked on many products, including products and uh, drugs for type 2 diabetes, type 1 diabetes, as well as uh, lots of therapy areas. I guess the one thing that I kept realizing every time I saw a new clinical study uh, come out uh, in, on the drugs I was working on was the fact that people who made lifestyle interventions always were way more successful in terms of their health outcomes, in terms of how they responded to medication, uh, in terms of the dose they needed, etc. And I guess I felt it was something that people didn't know enough about, Fiona. So I thought uh, there's an opportunity here to share more lifestyle science with people so that everyone can help themselves as well as listening to their healthcare teams. And I guess this was all in tandem with the fact that type 2 diabetes in particular uh, was fast becoming the fastest growing disease, both in Ireland uh, and globally, in truth. So uh, chronic disease in general, uh, as you and all your listeners will will be used to hearing are massively on the increase, largely as a result of our lifestyle. So that was really the prompt to for me to set up a program and to put more context around it so that people would understand and I guess have more health literacy. We have a lot of very smart people who when have a total blind spot when it comes to health or lifestyle health in particular. So I that really was was what brought me to uh, creating this product and this program and uh, working with the lovely people that I work with now. Fantastic, Siobhan. And I love that idea of the health literacy. Uh, it just yeah, I can I can see where how I can relate to that. Um, could I ask you back one quick second, just in terms of uh, the audience? Can you please explain the difference between type one and type two diabetes? An important question, Fiona. Thank you. Yes. So there is very large differences in terms of where these diseases come from. In that type one is a autoimmune disease and typically is uh, diagnosed in children. So most people with diabetes will have been diagnosed in childhood, although increasingly uh, I'm coming across many people who are now being diagnosed um, uh, later in life. Type one diabetes 
uh, as I said, it's an autoimmune disease. And effectively what it means is that the body actually almost fights against itself or starts to reject its own insulin producing cells. It generally is a sudden onset. So you could have somebody who's perfectly uh, healthy and fine and, you know, nothing obvious wrong, nothing, no symptoms. And within the space of two weeks, then uh, they would be extremely symptomatic, whereby the typical symptoms are drinking a extraordinary amount of water, going to the toilet uh, way more than normal, perhaps feeling a bit drowsy, perhaps having blurred vision, uh, you know, children falling asleep during the day when it would be unlike them, mm-hmm. uh, for instance. And often they'll have an, what's called an acetone smell from their breath. So there is the typical telltale, telltale signs uh, if anyone is ever uh, concerned about their child. And I would say, you know, that's you need to go straight to a doctor. Generally speaking, uh, those people, if they are, if it is type one diabetes, they will be treated immediately with insulin. And at the moment, unfortunately, type one diabetes is a lifelong condition. There's a huge amount of research being done in this area. And hopefully um, children who are being diagnosed today uh, will find a cure in their lifetime because there is amazing work being done in this area, which is fantastic. But as it stands, anyone with type one diabetes will have to inject themselves with insulin in order to maintain uh, a healthy blood sugar and a healthy life. Type yeah. 2 diabetes, on the other hand, is a, um, a way uh, slower onset. And the, typically today, if somebody is diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, it will have started up to 10 years ago and oftentimes even longer. So it's a very slow, insidious onset and the symptoms are not, not quite as obvious So oftentimes it would be vague symptoms. So for instance, people, again, might have uh, fatigue. They might find it difficult to recover from infections, find that it takes much uh, longer. They could have uh, conditions like thrush, erectile dysfunction, um, and lots of these types of conditions that aren't, don't necessarily point to diabetes, but that's what takes them to the doctor in the first place. And when their blood sugar is checked, it's, they discover that they have type 2 diabetes or perhaps pre-diabetes, which is when your blood sugar is out of normal range, but not quite um, in the range of type 2 diabetes yet. And obviously that's the opportune time to reverse the, the condition. The great news with type 2 diabetes is that it can be reversed in many people, not in everyone, but there are many, many studies now showing that at least 50% and in some studies up to 70% of people can put that type 2 diabetes into remission. So it does not necessarily have to mean that it's a lifelong condition anymore, which is great, number one. And number two, many people can actually manage their disease simply by lifestyle or perhaps taking small amounts of medication rather than uh, were they not to intervene and make those lifestyle changes the likelihood is that they will have to take more and more medication and they're at more and more health risk. Thank you. That's very interesting, actually, because I thought that type 2 diabetes was reversible for everyone. I didn't realize that there were some people it it isn't reversible. Yeah, it's look, you, you will see those headlines, Fiona, for sure, that everyone can do it. And I don't want to dishearten people if if uh 
they find that disappointing. But I think on balance, um, many people, so many people can, you know, it, maintain that the bottom line here is about having a normal blood sugar. Okay. So regardless of the label, what the focus has to be on is having your blood sugar in normal range. If it's a case that you need to take some medication, that's, you know, not the end of the world, because obviously uh, that's going to help you to keep that blood sugar low. Many people can come off their medication and many people can have a very low dose. I guess the reason that I'm being so positive about that as somebody who doesn't, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be recommending jumping straight into medication if you can avoid it. But I guess the point is because of the nature of the disease, it it gets worse if you don't take care of yourself. So to my mind, it's a real success. If, if you are somebody that does need medication, that you just need a small amount and you can sustain it there because that means that your disease is not necessarily progressing or getting any worse. And in this instance, then it means that your overall health in general isn't affected so much. Okay. People right. that don't reverse their disease are generally people who have had it, you know, 15 years or longer. That said, I have seen people who have had diabetes 20 years reverse it. But generally speaking, the people who have it the longest are the people who um, have obesity and really struggle with obesity um, are, are also a group that will struggle to completely reverse it. Okay. Okay. Great. So um, that, thank you so much for clearing that up between the type one and type two. I think people sure. often get so confused about it. So thank Absolutely. you for that. Absolutely. I do think one thing is worth mentioning though, Fiona, that um, regardless, you know, even though as I outlined, the source of the disease of type one and type two are both very different and the causes are very different. But ultimately, if you are diagnosed with either type one or type two, regardless of uh, or, you know, despite the fact that people with type one, of course, will need insulin all the time and some people with type two may need medication, but you, the, the care is still the same. You need to mind your lifestyle. You need to mind your diet. You need to watch your sleep, your stress levels, all of these things that all feed into blood sugar. So once you have the diagnosis, I would argue that in truth, everyone needs to to adapt the same healthy lifestyle. Same for everyone, really, isn't it? Whether you have absolutely. diabetes knocking on your door You're or absolutely not. Absolutely right. And it is applicable to any chronic disease in truth. Absolutely. OK. So um, I know since you were last a guest on my podcast, uh, you have done a huge amount of work and you have this fantastic workplace offering. Would you like to tell me a little bit about that? Sure, Fiona. Thank you. Yeah. So I have been working with um, many individuals and groups in um, through online programs and I guess I was realizing more and more that people prefer to learn their information in small bite-sized pieces. And I guess this brought me on to this idea of, of um, creating an app whereby I could create small snack-sized pieces of information that people could dip in and out of um, at, as, as um, it worked in their own lives rather than uh, coming on to to listen to me at any specific times, if you like, um, during the week. So 
the beginning of this year, I created an app. And the focus in the app really is more on chronic disease prevention, because as you exactly pointed out uh, just now, how we live our lives affects us, you know, in so many ways. And so whether we have diabetes or we're genetically predisposed to diabetes or heart disease or any inflammatory conditions like arthritis, some cancers, Alzheimer's disease, which of course is, is massively on the rise. The bottom line is that we need to do the very same things in truth, which is really keep down inflammation um, in order to avoid or to uh, regress these diseases. So the focus is in the app is largely on chronic disease prevention. And of course, there's lots of information on uh, diabetes there also. So the app is made up of uh, there's probably at this stage 35 short podcasts in there and then each it's and there's a podcast for each topic so that means there's 35 topics everything is broken down into small pieces so for instance in the food module which is the one uh, that will be you will be interested in there's um, a podcast and support materials and quizzes and recipes etc all to do with lots of topics like fiber like healthy carbs, like healthy fats, so that people can understand each of these things, uh, you know, individually, if you like, and then we help them to put it all together in the context of creating a healthy life. But other things that you'll find in the app and other topics that are addressed that some people may feel don't have a place in a, in a chronic disease app are topics like, for instance, spending time in nature, writing gratitude lists, um, the value of a mindset, the value of understanding your why, your purpose in life, all of these topics, because the truth is that everything feeds into our health. And this is something that science, uh, all lifestyle science, and I think it's really just so exciting that there's so many really great studies coming out to show that pretty much everything we do in our lives, every thought we have, every action we have during the day, uh, all feeds into our health. It really takes a while to get your head around that, uh, but it, it very much is the truth. And that's what I try to get people to, I guess, understand and to really appreciate. And the good news about all of this is that there's lots and lots of different ways, lots of gateways, if you like, into improving your health. So if you're somebody that just is finding it really, really difficult to get into the kitchen or to to get your head around putting a dish together, a healthy meal, then maybe you're somebody that needs to start with writing gratitude lists or, you know, doing more movement, more exercise, more mindfulness. And then once you start to feel better and feel more positive, that can completely change your attitude. And then. Uh, what you'll find is that you do become more curious and more interested in going into the kitchen and, you know, you, you find yourself there eventually. So I, I just firmly believe that there's lots of ways to take people into a healthier lifestyle and we all have different starting points. And so the app gives people that opportunity. Great. I mean, it sounds, uh, it sounds like great content between the, the quizzes and the recipes and then dealing with all the other sides of things. I mean, I know lately I've stepped up a whole gratitude practice and I am really finding the benefits of it, but it's not something that I thought I would have been doing a year ago. So um, 
And is this app available for everybody, um, Siobhan? Well, at the moment, Fiona, it is available to companies. So because while the app, uh, if I might say, is fantastic, I think it's really, really great content. And, and I'm really pleased to say we've had phenomenal feedback on it. So it is making a difference. Awesome. But all of that said, you know, we all have lots of apps on our phones and it's easy to um, lose and say lose interest life takes over and then you know you forget and 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 that gets lost so what we do as well as offering the app is we have a huge support service in terms of for instance group coaching individual coaching live events we do lots of emails and videos and there's a huge amount of other things that go on to support this program so to my mind the workplace is the ideal place in which to run this program. And the, you know, really another reason why we went in this direction is that a lot of the evidence is now showing that actually the workplace is the best place to help people to uh, reduce their likelihood of, of getting any chronic disease and also to help those who have disease that addressing this in the workplace with peer support and creating that culture of health and well-being and wellness that... Um, people tend to do so much better. So at the moment, we're offering it to either very large groups or in companies. Okay. And if somebody was interested in in, in trying to get this into their company, how would they go about finding what, what's the name that they would look for? Or how Okay. So, well, it? the name of the program is Ignition Go, but the best thing to do would be to uh, go on our website, which is the diabetes department, dept.com um and contact us and uh we'd be delighted to speak with anyone about it for sure anytime great and i'll put the links in the show notes below but i love the idea about the workplace being the the right place to do it because you'd have the peer support but also perhaps it's to do with the timing because if somebody has to go on this journey themselves fitting it in around family and work etc it's it's going to be harder to achieve but I guess if it can be done in the workplace it's done during those times and in the long run the employer will gain from it because people will have better health better motivation etc would I be right oh for sure absolutely Fiona and there is mounting evidence really to support that fact that uh workplaces that do embrace programs like this will have a much happier workforce who will be more productive and ultimately who will have less sick days so there's there's so many good reasons to run programs like this in the workplace absolutely and um when when people say when you do this in the workplace do you have goals are people say measured at the beginning and mid like is there some type of measurement process to see how people have gone through the program or how does that work um, yeah so as a good example Fiona we've just run a six-month program in Irish Rail which is the Irish uh, Rail Service uh, with almost 400 people and uh, as I mentioned earlier while the theme of the program is chronic disease prevention the focus is more around things like um, like I mentioned health literacy but things then like increased energy feeling better in yourself feeling more motivated to make changes and then you know looking at at 
um, all of the small changes that people make. And we very much um, encourage the creating new small habits and building on them. And we support people to build on their habits as they go through the program. So what we did in this instance was we um, did a lot of research with all the participants in advance of them joining the program. And then we also did some health checks. So for instance, they we checked their blood pressure um, and a number of other metrics that uh, would indicate uh, where people needed to, to, to do some work on their own health. And then they're going to be repeated uh, after 12 months, actually. Um, and then just now, as I said, we've just finished the six-month program. And in two months' time, or six weeks perhaps, we're going to redo the research on uh, assessing levels of fatigue, um, general well-being, if people created new habits, if people achieve their goals, et cetera. So we are measuring all of that. And we also have an independent assessor uh, who's been doing some of their own independent um, measurements uh, as such with their own tools. And uh, they're going to give us a report. So I do think that it is very important to measure success. Absolutely. Um, and for people, but, you know, it's a very individual thing because I think, uh, you know, you can't, rock up into a company and say, hey, let's all go now. Everybody's going to get fit and healthy and strong because that's not something you can impose on people. Um, people really need to feel motivated to do this. So the timing has to be right. So that's why I feel even if people come out of this program with a greater knowledge around health and an understanding uh, to the degree that they can participate more with their own health team, that they don't feel you know, that they're just being told what to do anytime, you know, that they can participate. Um, and I think it's really important, too, that people, you know, understand that we're not just all as humans. We're not a fixed structure. We're not at the mercy of our genes, that we have so much power over our personal outcomes um, in terms of health and well-being. And, you know, that that people really appreciate and get that. So I'm really looking forward to hearing um, everybody's stories uh, with respect to that. Sounds great. And and there's two things that I was going to add to that as well. One is that I think it's great they're then empowered and they can help those around them. So it's not just a difference to the individual that is employed within the company, but when they go home, I'm sure they will share the stories and encourage their loved one to participate. So that Absolutely. could have you know, yeah, a huge yeah. impact. We have and had some great stories on that anecdotally. For instance, one lady who uh, is uh, on the program and her husband very reluctantly, you know, um, agreed to make some changes with her. But he had actually been diagnosed with diabetes, type 2 diabetes, just in advance of this. And this was really uh, her motivation for getting involved in the program in the first place because she wanted to know more so she could help him. And the really great thing is that he, he, you know, she used the workplace program as an excuse to, you know, make all of these new changes. So, for instance, in the kitchen, she was at your cooking demo, for instance, Fiona, and she went back and made lots of changes uh, to how she cooked. And um, the fabulous news is that that gentleman, now her husband, is now diabetes free. Brilliant. So, um, so you know, yes, they are thrilled. Lots of stories particularly in the workplace about people who have really embraced it and um you know their colleagues who maybe 
initially were maybe teasing them or laughing at them or, you know, um, I suppose poking poking a bit of fun around, you know, the, the changes in their diet six months ago. The same people are now saying, oh, you know, could you give me the recipe for that? And I've had so many anecdotal stories about that. And um, yeah, lots of really, really nice stories where people are supporting people. And of course, I, I think the other thing worth mentioning, I feel very passionate about um, people who do shift work, because I don't believe that a lot of people that work shift work understand the impact that this has on their health. And it's also harder in terms of being prepared. And I know that's something that you would talk about a lot, Fiona, in the context of um, Cook, Eat, Nourish, which is, you know, the value of being prepared, you know, of maybe having batch vegetable uh, chopping um, sessions, etc. Um, and all of these things are trickier. You know, it, eating healthily is trickier for people who are doing shift work. Um, notwithstanding a lot of the time they're just really really tired and so we've done a huge amount of work around shift work also and I do think that a lot of shift workers have benefited enormously and it is something I think we you know there's an increasing amount it's um, I saw a statistic really I think we're almost at 19 percent of the workforce do some sort of shift work so I think we all need to be more mindful of that and um one psychologist I interviewed, we do lots of specialist interviews in the program and I found a, an interesting comment. She said shift workers have to carry an extra load. And even though they are financially compensated for that shift work, it doesn't lessen the load. And um, I thought it was really nicely put. And, and I think something all of us are, you know, those of us who are living with people that do shift work. And while oftentimes I know myself as a nurse um. It was really handy sometimes, you know, you could go shopping on Monday morning when, when it's really quiet uh, or for people who have families, it works for them and their families. But, you know, you just I would encourage anyone who's listening who either does shift work themselves or who lives with a shift worker just to be cognizant of the fact that um, you do have to practice that self-care uh, to a greater degree than somebody that does not do shift work. And I think you need to be very organized as well, like in terms of the food type of thing. You just have to be so organized and planned ahead because when you're tired and caught out, it's just so easy to make the choices that aren't very nutritious. Absolutely. Absolutely. Plus, you know, your body is is screaming for it. it you know, if, if you feel tired and particularly a lot of people that do shift work also are maybe in safety critical roles so for instance um people like drivers um being being a good example or you know nurses doctors police force so many prison service you know a lot of them are in positions where they have to be alert and um there's there's a lot of pressure on so to be fair, uh, you can understand why, you know, why your body they're you know, they, they, they do uh, what what you just said, which is um, more likely to eat unhealthy food. Aside from the fact that uh, when you go into any canteen that serves food at night, it's never going to be great quality. So absolutely, they do need to be prepared and um, but they also need to be helped. Because a lot of people uh, don't, you know, just find it really, really difficult. Um, and the other piece, too, is around when should they eat during the night? And um, 
a lot of the evidence now is is suggesting that you're actually better off to eat your main meal. For instance, if you're working a night shift, eat your main meal in the evening before you go to work and eat as little as you can get away with during your shift and then eat something light when you come home. So, um, so yes, there's, there's uh, lots of things, I guess, that shift workers aren't aware of that can help them. So I feel very strongly that we do need to help that group in particular. Absolutely. And one of the other things you touched on there, which I know I'm certainly, um, shall we say, guilty of, is when you make progress or growth, it's so easy to just take it for granted and not stop and look back and say, well, six months ago, I wasn't even able to, you know, walk one kilometer, let alone now where I run five kilometers, I enjoy it, or I you know, was eating takeaways five days a week and and now I only get the once a week. I think it's uh, very easy to just continue on a day-to-day without stopping and reflecting. So the fact that you're going to be sitting down with all of those uh, attendees in your course with your app, I'd be, yeah, it's, that's a super thing to do because it's it's just too easy to avoid that, I think. Mm, absolutely. And actually, you're so right about what you say, Fiona, Absolutely. And it's really interesting when you look at all the science now and the evidence around habit change. And, and actually, really interesting. We had a live event, as it happens, um, this week and a huge number of participants, which was just electric. It was fabulous uh, um, in terms of people's enthusiasm. But the amount of people that said to me, oh, my God, you know, it's all. And I was doing so well, but my willpower is useless. My willpower is useless. And, you know. I, I say this all the time. Willpower doesn't work and you can't depend on willpower. You know, that's that it's it's unfair on yourself to think that you can do everything through willpower, because the truth is the environment is set up against us. You know, we live in an environment where there's nonstop ads. You can't go, you know, I mean, obviously you can't get some diesel or petrol now without being, you know, having to wade your way through tons of of, of things that you know might seem attractive to you at the time if you're feeling tired or peckish um you know everywhere sells stuff that that is constantly saying you know eat me eat me you need me you know uh we're told by the food industry all the time you need a snack you need a snack these are healthy snacks and so i guess my point is that it is really really difficult especially if you are somebody that really does struggle or have, you know, even a disposition or an addiction, because many people genuinely do have an addiction to those unhealthy carbs or to sugar. So the the solution to this, and I promise it really works for anyone that's listening that, you know, is identifying with what we're talking about. Every time you do something positive, I mean, you're right, Fiona, you know, look back over the few months, but in the moment. So if it's a case that you do go in and pay for your fuel and you come out and you were tempted to buy something and you didn't, you sit in your car and you go, yes, I did it. Well done. Okay. Every single time when you don't feel like going out for a walk, when it's the last thing in the world you need and you do it, you go out and you go, yes, I did it. And every single time you drink a glass of water, you're, you know, one more today than you did yesterday celebrate it is all about and this is the secret sauce to creating new habits is that you celebrate every single little thing 
if you sit down to do a meditation and even though your mind was racing and you feel like that wasn't so valuable, you still made the effort and you sat down and you did have a little reflection time. You stand up and you go, yes, I did it. And the more times you do that, what you're actually doing is hardwiring your brain. OK, and this is the neuroscience now, which is just phenomenal and is really showing we can completely rewire our brains. And how we do this is by telling our brain, this is something I enjoy. This is something that's good for me. So your brain is just responding when you're doing all of this celebration and this, um, you know, uh, clapping yourself in the back as such or giving yourself credit for something. Your brain is going, oh, this is something we like. This is something we need to do more of. And you can rewire your brain to make you enjoy doing these things or to actually make it feel like it's not a struggle anymore. So, you know, the way people often talk about this, it was a habit and I had to push myself and push myself and then it just became habit. But oftentimes what creates that habit is that good feeling that we get when we do it. And it's a good feeling that that is associated with that activity and even things like vegetables. So if you're somebody that doesn't enjoy eating vegetables, for instance, and, you know, you add in a new vegetable or eat a little bit even that you haven't had before. Uh, which clearly is really good for you and it's a great achievement. But, you know, don't be kind of saying, oh, you know, wouldn't you think I would have tried this before? And people, we put ourselves down all the time. Just put the positive spin on it and think, I did it. I did it. I ate something that's good for me. I've tried it. I'm going to keep trying it. Well done. And you just keep doing that little internal well done. And uh, the more you you celebrate yourself and you know, you're trying uh, these new new um, habits, then the easier you will make it for yourself. Great. And I think it's almost like the the, the phrase to go and high five yourself in the mirror every day to start your day. So uh, mm. I love that celebrating everything. And, and that's a secret sauce in life. And Siobhan, I would always ask my guests for three tips for the audience to improve their health. Am I guessing that that might possibly be one of your your tips? Yeah, actually, for sure, Fiona, definitely. I think uh, that all comes into the whole self-care piece. So definitely every time you do something, give yourself credit, Love give it. yourself Please that internal high five. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, create it as part of, of the gratitude piece you mentioned earlier, you know, that it's not something maybe you would have thought about before. But, you know, and that's lots of people. But once you get into this habit and really feel the benefits and you know how it, it can turn negative situations into positive and set you up for your day um, and indeed in the evening time sets you up for a better sleep and all the evidence does show that now that if you do gratitude list before you go to sleep that you have a better quality sleep so definitely all of that self-talk piece um hugely important and what would your um, other two tips be? Siobhan? Other two, um, I would say, well, with respect to food, Fiona, um, I think, you know, I'm way more in favor of your approach, which is the nourish piece. Um, I think there is still way too much focus on calories. So I would really urge people to forget about calories. Uh, it doesn't serve us to count calories. What does serve us is to count nutrition. And I don't mean down to the, the micros of, of what's in everything. What I mean is, you know, the simple things of 
five portions, you know, a minimum of five portions of fruit and veg a day. But I would say ideally, you know, go for three to four vegetables a day if you can. And then the reason behind this is that diversity is just massively important to us when it comes to plant foods in particular. And um, vegetables are really the easy way to do that. So if you rather than focus on counting calories, just count how many portions of fruit and veg did I have today? And you yeah. did that and nothing else. I think it would make a massive difference to your health. Um, you know, there's so many different diets and people are always curious about or, you know, checking out, should I do paleo or um, vegan or, you know, low carb? There's so many keto. Uh, there, there's so many different types of diets and there is lots of evidence pretty much to support all of them. The important thing is to understand what works for you. We are all individual. So some people, uh, their health is way better when they eat some meat or they feel a whole lot better and their health markers improve, I should say. Um, I'm not suggesting if you are, you know, strictly vegan and for good reason, often people are for, for very, very good reason. Of course, religious reasons or cultural reasons or, um, you know, lots of personal um, reasons I can understand that but um, I just I suppose would say if you are uh, vegan in particular it's important to understand that just because you don't eat animal products you are automatically healthier so it's really important again to look at the value of nutrition in terms of what you are eating so um, but fruit and veg absolutely or I should say veg and fruit because veg really is the number one um would be the thing that I would urge people to count. Um, okay, so we've got time. number one, celebrate everything as you know, part of your self-care. Number two in the food, forget about counting calories, count your veg instead. Yes. And what would your third one be? And I suppose and berries, actually I should add in there, veg and berries, because berries are um, just such a powerhouse of nutrition also. So uh, try and integrate those. Um they would be the number one in terms of fruit. Then my number three um I guess is you know, be mindful when you're eating. So be curious around your food. Uh, oftentimes we just grab and we're all guilty of this, you know, when you're in a hurry, you're throwing something together to to um, eat quickly and just find that gap just to stop before you eat and just think, OK, what's this in front of me? Um, get curious about maybe where it's come from. Read the labels if you can. And just think about what you're putting into your body and try and get into the habit of asking yourself, is this going to do me good or might this do me more harm than good? OK, without being, you know, completely paranoid, if you like, or, you know, I don't what I don't want is to cause stress around it because it shouldn't be stressful. It should be more about getting curious and understanding what it is we're eating in the full knowledge that everything we put into our bodies, either food or drink, is going to either have a positive effect or a negative effect. It can contribute to inflammation and it can contrib contribute to healing and quality energy. When we start to look at our food like that and just create that little space before we eat, then I think, you know, it, it's that piece around mindful eating and 
you know, not just grabbing and sitting in front of the TV and, and, you know, eating without even tasting what it is that you're putting into your body. So try to make that food piece um, a, a mindful eating or social eating, of course, also. So, you know, there's no question that if you, for instance, get into the habit of every day, if you do live with people, if you, you know, live, have a family, for instance, or if you live with, with other people to try and eat with them or create that social eating uh, space in your life also, because um, there's, there's no nicer way to enjoy a meal than with friends or with loved ones and, and, you know, to really have a hearty, good meal that, uh, you know, is nourishing you. Brilliant. So I, I love those because they're really easily applicable for people. So we've got number one, celebrate everything and part of your self-care. Number two is the food. Forget about counting the calories, count the veg and the berries. And number three is be mindful and curious. Absolutely. So yes. thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to uh, to cover before we finish off today's podcast? Siobhan? Fiona, I think uh, thank you so much for having me. Is uh, it's It's been a pleasure and I really support everything that you're doing. I love your ethos. I know you're helping so many people to just get comfortable in the kitchen. And I, I suppose I just support everything you say in context of, you know, don't be intimidated by the kitchen. I was somebody, for instance, who when I was a nurse, I I, I think when I was a student, I lived on pasta and pesto for years. I, I just look back and cringe at, you know, <laughs> a lot of the stuff that I cooked. So I certainly, you know, my mom was a perfectionist, so she just would throw us out of the kitchen so she could create these amazing meals. And I never felt that I was going to be able to match that. Um, So I certainly was that person who was intimidated by the kitchen. And I think also social media, while in some degree it's great because there's lots of great recipes available, People, you know, keep posting these amazing gourmet uh, meals that they're producing, which can be really tricky if you are somebody that's that finds it hard to cook. So, you know, every, just it, it, not, it doesn't have to be fancy. It's about simple food and progress, not perfection, know, really, isn't it? Totally. I mean, what do you need? Only, you know, a, a couple of vegetables that you just cook for yourself and maybe some fish or chicken or a bit of meat on the side or some, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of um, pulses like um, beans and legumes. Uh, and particularly if you are vegetarian or vegan, it's important that you eat lots of those. Um, and, you know, just make it really simple and it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to look great. That can come later on, but just, they just start somewhere and, and, uh, be pleased with yourself for doing it. And again, celebrate yourself for whatever you cook. Boil an egg, for heaven's sake, that's even great. So, you know, just uh, I would just encourage people to just get into the kitchen and then you know what's going into your food. It's remarkable how many things still do not have to appear on food labels. So um, and, and that's particularly applicable, in fact, to drinks. So, you know, again, watch what 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 you drink. And um yeah and and take okay. care and trust yourself and listen to yourself actually sorry Fiona I, that's one last thing I do want to say before we go because I think it is important I mentioned earlier that there's no one diet that works for everyone and it's under it's important that we understand for ourselves what works for us yes but see the impact that the food has on you see the effect it has so if you eat something and half an hour later or an hour later, you feel tired or you feel bloated, then 
that food is not serving you. That food is not doing you any good. Okay. And that's a food that you need to avoid. So things like that, foods that make you, okay, I don't mean feel good in, at the time because, you know, often your happy hormones are, are released as soon as you eat some something sugary. Of course, we all feel great and we get that dopamine hit. But I'm talking about, you know, 30 to 60 minutes later, uh, see how you feel then. And if that food has a, a negative effect on you, then, you know, start to get curious about that as well. You know, like I was talking about earlier, just be curious about the effect the food has on you too, because oftentimes you'll uncover uh, foods that really you're finding it difficult to tolerate that your body isn't uh, able to digest properly and that can cause problems also. So something as simple as that, you know, if you find a food that you have an intolerance to and you remove it, suddenly you can be removing tiredness and brain fog and bloating and all of those things, you know, like a miracle, honestly, within a couple of weeks. So um, that's something I think that's also worth uh, mentioning. Thank you. I think we could possibly talk all day. <laughs> we'll get another podcast out of it too. But listen, thank you so much for your time today, Siobhan. I will put the, the links below to Ignition Go and the Diabetes Department. And I'm sure over the coming years, we will see it being in most workplaces. So well done. And thank you so much, Siobhan. Thank you, Fiona, for having me. Thank you so You're much for everyone well. listening. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast on Cook, Eat, Nourish with me, Fiona Staunton of Fiona's Food for Life. I'd really appreciate if you would subscribe, rate and review the podcast to help spread the word. And if you pop over to my website, fionasfoodforlife.ie, you'll find lots of recipes, videos, inspiration and upcoming courses. Thanks a million. Thanks a million.